Hello, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Hello, and welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest Divini. I'm the lead pastor at Asbury. We're glad that you're listening in. We hope that this podcast will enrich your walk with Christ. I hope it'll increase your knowledge of the Bible, and I also hope it's going to be a little bit entertaining for you. Uh, this week we begin the Gospel of John. Now, that's because if you are reading along with our um, 90-day reading plan that takes you through all four Gospels, um, I'm, I'm recording this on Wednesday morning a bit later than I normally do. Um, the Thursday of this week, You, if you're following along, I believe you'll be reading the final chapter of Luke on Thursday morning, and then we'll start John on Friday. Um, and that will take us right up to... Um, it, I mean, it'll be just before... Holy Week begins. It's like midway or so through that week, um, that that final week of Lent before Palm Sunday. So we'll be in John for for it's it's a hair over three weeks. Um, John's Gospel of the four, it's the most different. You've probably picked up on that if you've read all four Gospels at any other time, you may not realize how different it is. Um, the other three Gospels are are grouped together, and they're called the Synoptic Gospels. Now, why are they called the Synoptic Gospels? The answer is, I don't know. I don't know what the word synoptic means. I probably should, but I'm very certain that no one in seminary ever took the time to explain what synoptic means. So, there you go. It's a mystery. Google it if you want. Um, the, but, but they are grouped together and given a common name because they are so incredibly similar. Now, you will have picked up on this if you've been reading along with us. If you've been reading through the first three Gospels, you'll have noticed that they tell the same stories. They are remarkably similar. They tell the same parables. There might be differences here and there, um, and sometimes the order of events is different. Now, there are reasons for that. The parables... And the sayings of Jesus will vary slightly in those Gospels because um, as Jesus is traveling throughout the countryside of Galilee and Judea and visiting these little villages, he would have been telling the same sermons, telling the same parables, using the same little phrases and proverbs over and over and over again because that's how teaching worked in the ancient world. Um, And each of these Gospel writers is only recording um, some of those. So one of them might record the way he said the parable in one village, another records the way he told that parable in another village. There would be slight variations, um, even if the, the basic core of the parable remains the same. Now, the order of events is different, and that is simply because each gospel writer is trying to emphasize something slightly different. Um, the Gospels the Gospels are not just eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did. They are theological documents. And the writers of all four Gospels, each of them, were brilliant theologians. And so each Gospel is constructed the way it's constructed very deliberately. So you have Matthew written by, um, and, and let, let me just say a word on this, right? The Gospels themselves are, of course, anonymous. None of the Gospels 
uh, with the possible exception of John, really makes it clear who the author is. So when we, when we talk about who wrote the Gospels and the name of each Gospel, um, we are basing that off of the tradition of the church. So who the church has traditionally said wrote this Gospel. Now that might seem flimsy, but let's remember that these traditions of who wrote which Gospel date back to, uh, as far as we can tell, pretty much the times when the Gospels were actually written. Um, so we don't need to worry about whether they're accurate or not. I, I think they're accurate. I, I'm, I'm just frankly tired of the trend in the modern church to distrust the ancient traditions of the church. There's no real valid reason for it. Um, we know that people in ancient times were remarkably good at preserving information through oral tradition and that they became quite good at preserving it through written tradition. Um, and, and so when you have this consistent tradition saying Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew, that dates back essentially to the time when the Gospel was first written and first distributed, um, we ought to just trust that and rely on that. So, so yes, Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew. That would be the disciple Matthew. Mark is an interesting Gospel because it's not written by one of the disciples. It's written by a man named Mark, possibly John Mark, who was a disciple of Peter. And so the Gospel of Mark, interestingly, is actually, you can view it as sort of a collection of the sermons and the gospel teachings of Peter, as recorded by his faithful disciple Mark. Um, Luke is written down by the physician Luke. Um, that, is, um, that, that is the physician who is mentioned by Paul. He's mentioned, I believe, in Acts as well. Of course, he wrote Acts, so he might naturally. So there, there are several times in the book of Acts where um, it says, we went here, we did this. That's Luke describing he and Paul doing something or he and someone else doing something. Um, so Luke is a physician who, who apparently becomes a friend, possibly disciple of Paul's and travels with him on some of his trips. Luke's gospel is likely constructed from eyewitness accounts as well. But Luke and Matthew both seem to be using Mark as source material. Mark is the earliest of the four Gospels, as best we can tell. Um, you may have heard, depending on how much time you devoted into studying this, that there's another source, a document called Q that floats around there that was, that was hypothesized to be like a collection of Jesus' sayings. Um, I, I, frankly, I think that's a dumb hypothesis. There's no basis for it whatsoever. There's no evidence at all of a hypothetical document called Q that uh, it, it, it just, there's no reason to believe that. Um, and I'm, that's not just my opinion, by, by the way. Some of the best New Testament scholars out there would agree with me, including N.T. Wright, who is arguably the, the leading expert on, New Test, on the New Testament and on the history of the world of the New Testament, uh, and he flatly rejects the idea of Q and says there's just no, there's no real basis for it. And I agree with him. I think there's just no basis for there being some hypothetical other document out there that records the sayings of Jesus um, and that influences the Gospels. I think you have, uh, in the Synoptic Gospels, you have Mark being written first and widely circulated, and then Matthew and Luke, as they are writing down their Gospels. Matthew comes before Luke, most likely. Um, and I think Matthew is doing a combination of writing down what he himself remembers from those days, as well as 
using the Gospel of Mark to kind of go back and check and see, okay, yeah, okay, I'm not the only one who remembers this happening this way. Great. But I also remember this detail that Mark didn't record or that Peter didn't have Mark write down. Um, and I think Luke is doing something similar. He's talking to the eyewitnesses who were there, and he's using the Gospel of Mark, and for all we know, possibly the Gospel of Matthew as well, um, to sort of double-check what he's doing and make sure he's got some details right. And then John comes along. Now, again, John is traditionally believed to be the Apostle John, which makes all the, the references to the beloved disciple just hilarious. Because uh, there are so many points in this gospel where it's like John is saying, and Jesus loved the disciple John the best. And it's, you know, he writing it. There's also the, the lovely bit at the very end where he talks about how they raced to go see the tomb. And he makes sure to point out that John beat the other disciples there. Um, but John's writing the gospel himself. I love it. It's hilarious. Um, so this is traditionally attributed to the Apostle John. There is some dispute amongst the biblical scholars over whether or not this is the same John who writes the book of Revelation. I personally am inclined to believe that it is. Um, I don't know that it makes a huge difference either way, but there is some variation there. But either way, this is believed to be the Apostle John. This is the latest of the four Gospels to be written. Again, we don't, you know, get, getting exact dates for any of the Gospels is actually difficult. There's kind of a range. Um, but this is the latest to be written. And when we say it's different from the other four Gospels, um, only 10%, 10% of the contents of John is shared with the rest of the Gospels. So 90% of John is kind of unique. Now, John Wesley, who, to be clear, did not write the Gospel of John. I hope you knew that. Uh, John Wesley viewed the Gospel of John as serving the function of, like, a supplement. So, in, in Wesley's view, the re part of the reason that this Gospel is so different from the other three is because John was coming back and sort of filling in the gaps of what he felt the other three Gospels missed. Uh, so, in his view, John was saying, okay, yes, all these other Gospels are true and important, but they've missed these important points. And some of them are theological points, and some of them are just stories from Jesus' ministry he felt were important to pass along. Um, and I think that's a pretty good way to view the Gospel of John, that it, 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 takes, um, it, it takes a different track because it's trying to fill in the gaps left by the other Gospels. Um, and so John is very different, not just in terms of content, but in terms of, of tone and style. Um, you'll notice as you read through John that Jesus does not tell parables in John, which is interesting. Now we know from the other four Gospels that Jesus really relied quite heavily on parables as part of his teaching, but there are no parables in John. There are also no miracles in John. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't do miraculous things. It means John doesn't call them miracles. John calls them signs. Because John wants to stress that these things are indicators. They point to the reality of who Jesus is. John also does not talk really at all about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Now, that is arguably the central theme of the other three Gospels. There is, I would say, there is nothing more important in the other three Gospels than the idea of the kingdom of heaven. 
that Jesus' kingdom has begun, the kingdom of God is, is invading the earth, that we are waiting for Jesus to come back and bring his kingdom in its fullness, but we live in his kingdom now. John's gospel doesn't really deal with that theme at all. Not because it's not important, but because it's already been dealt with and he's got other things he wants to emphasize. Um, he very, very strongly emphasizes the divinity of Christ, but he does not neglect the humanity of Christ. You will see Jesus in the Gospel of John getting frustrated, getting angry, having human emotions and human reactions. That's, so he doesn't neglect the humanity of Jesus, but he also really emphasizes the divinity of of Jesus, that Jesus is God. He does this even, I mean, right from the very beginning, in the opening chapter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then skipping ahead to verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So he makes clear that he's talk that when he, he talks about the word, he's talking about Jesus. And he says that in the beginning was Jesus, and, the, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He makes this really clear and explicit in the opening of his gospel. So he heavily emphasizes that. Um, he constructs his gospel around seven major signs, which all point to the final sign, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you were to ask me what my favorite gospel is, um, it might it might just be John. Um, I would be hard pressed to pick, in all honesty, I think between Matthew and John. But John has so many just lovely beautiful moments in it. So as you're reading it, pay attention to the signs and pay particularly close attention when it talks about these miracles that Jesus does, the signs in the gospel. Um, really focus on the symbolism Focus on the words that are used to describe it. And you'll start to see how, how these are all crafted to foreshadow the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, so at times, people have accused the Gospel of John of being anti-Semitic. Because he'll talk about the Jews a lot. Um, 
And obviously, he uses that sometimes to describe people who opposed the rule and reign of Jesus, who opposed, well, in his, I mean, who opposed the teaching of Jesus. Um, and, of course, the people who arrested and killed Jesus. They're all Jews, and John calls them Jews and sometimes refers to them as just collectively the Jews. So what's... But I don't think this gives you the justification of saying this is an anti-Semitic book because, one, Jesus and all the disciples were clearly Jews. And... John also will mention Jews who are faithful and who follow Jesus and who and and Jews who will not go along with the plot to kill Jesus and so uh, I, I simply don't think it's justified to call this an anti-Semitic gospel or that this gospel teaches or portrays anti-Semitism or that John himself was in any way anti-Semitic. John himself was a Jew, um, and and the the apostles themselves never saw themselves as anything other than faithful Jews. Um, they did not see themselves as part of a new religion. They saw themselves as uh, the Jewish people whose, whose faith in their creator had been rewarded, uh, whose creator had come down in the Messiah to redeem them. And so what you see in the Gospels and what you'll see in Paul as well is a retelling of all the, of all the promises of the Old Testament wrapped around Jesus and the cross. Um, so it's not anti-Semitic. There are people who have used not only this gospel, but others um, to fuel anti-Semitism. But that is a misuse and a twisting of Scripture, which is flat-out evil. It's just evil. Um you cannot read the New Testament in its entirety and come away with an anti-Semitic view unless you went into it with an anti-Semitic view. Um, Paul, in Romans especially, makes a big deal of the fact that, hey, the Jews are still God's chosen people, and y'all had better treat them well because they still have special status, which is something that we in the modern Western church in particular have not really done a good job of actually wrestling with and figuring out what that means. Um, that's in Romans 11 and 12, by the way. Uh, Paul was very convinced, it seems, that that actually God was, was still working on the Jewish people and would find a way to save them and to get them all to believe in the Messiah. Um, he, was, he seems in Romans to be pretty certain that, that God's got something up his sleeve to bring the, the, the non-believing Jews into the fold at some point. Uh, and so he's very clear that, hey, you, you Christians better, you Gentile Christians especially, better treat the Jews with respect and kindness because they're God's people. Now, Paul was biased because he was himself a Jew. He was a Pharisee. Um, but nonetheless, that's in the Bible for us, and, and we ought to take that seriously. So... Um, you, you, you just, you know, that's just a word on the, on the sort of history of the use of some of the New Testament texts and in particular the Gospel of John to fuel anti-Semitic beliefs. It only works if you go into it with anti-Semitic beliefs. Um, you can't single out the Jews and say, well, they're the ones who killed Jesus because frankly, um, 
I have to imagine that no matter where Jesus had gone, if he had popped up in the middle of a completely non-Jewish area and done the same things he did, I'm pretty sure he would still have ended up crucified. Honestly, if he were to pop up today and do and say and, say and teach the things he did, I'm pretty sure he'd still end up being executed somehow. Um, the gospel is offensive to everyone in all times and all places. You've got your high-level overview of John now. The one thing I'll leave you with, um, is as you read you, you read the first couple of chapters later this week, um, I want you to notice how John chapter 1, and in particular the first you know five verses or so, pay attention to how that parallels Genesis 1. You may even want to um, read them sort of side by side and, and notice how John is intentionally paralleling the opening words of Scripture. Because what he is doing is he's highlighting that um, what's happening now is God is restarting. He's relaunching his original project. The project of creation that was put on hold, that was derailed by human sin in Genesis, is in the person of Jesus being relaunched. Everything else in John, and honestly all the rest of the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, has to be read in light of that idea. That in Jesus, God is relaunching his original project of creation. That's what God's doing. That's what we're a part of. So pay attention as you read the opening chapter. Uh, it really might be a good idea to just go and like read Genesis 1 alongside it for a bit as you read into it. Um, and pay attention. Uh, and, then, and then notice how so many of the signs in John involve nature and creation. It's a, it's it's just a it's a powerful theme, and it tends to get overlooked. So notice that as you're reading in the Gospel of John. We will be back next week with another podcast again on the Gospel of John. And until then, my friends, God bless. <laughs>